Hi, welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. We pray that as you listen today, you are blessed and encouraged. Thank you so much for listening in. If you want any more information about our ministry, we'd love you to jump onto our website, harvestaustralia.org. Have a great day. We have the privilege of obviously having Ben come and preach this morning and we just want to thank the team as well for, uh, for last night. Let's just put our hands together for these guys. We bless you and honour you for what you're doing and forerunning in the nation. And obviously a lot of that's building up to the event in November, which I'm sure you all know about, but you can get more information online. And if you don't know about it, please come and talk to us and, uh, and we'll fill you in with, with more information. But um, I had a funny, funny first encounter with Ben. We were driving in the car and uh, we're driving along and just chatting away. All of a sudden, the, his window goes down. I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. We've got an evangelist in the car, you see. And uh, this, this hoon driver sort of comes up next to us. He's looking all rough. And, uh, and, and he had his window down, music going and everything. And Ben just yells out to him, hey, Jesus loves you, bro. And I'm thinking, oh, this is... Like, I had this with Mitchell Ramsey at KFC a few months ago. And here I am again. And uh, anyway, so uh, to my surprise, and I felt very convicted afterwards, this guy said, no way, no way. I was raised a Christian and I just got out of prison this week. And so Ben's just preaching at him quickly as we're sort of driving. I'm speeding off trying to get out of there. So that was my introduction to Ben. And I want you to stand, honour him, put your hands together as he comes and shares this morning. Love you, man. All right, thank you, thank you. Um, that was fun. I love that meeting that man. You have a good pastor, though. He didn't drive too quickly off. Some I've, I've had different experiences. Um, but this morning, uh, actually, before I share, we're going to make sure we're, we're on time today. So uh, last night, I noticed maybe there's a few people that slept in this morning, but that's okay. Uh, maybe they had good dreams. Um, we're going to do, I'm going to ask uh, a couple of our team members to, to do some things too. I feel our guitarist, Reese, should do a prophetic interpretive dance. Um, but uh, but he, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> but no, honestly, I really, I really, uh, that would take us into another realm. I'm not sure which realm, but it for sure would be wild. Uh, what I'm going to ask is Dylan. Uh, Dylan's been working for me now for a while. He's been an intern of mine for over two and a half years. He handles all of our outreach direction for Awakening Australia and Europe, both. And uh, he's a wonderful man. Um, he's best known for the offerings that he takes up. Um, but if you weren't here last night, you, you wouldn't understand why I said that. But uh, he's he's an amazing man of God, and, and he's a, a young man, but he's really preaching the gospel. And for years, he's sharing the love of Jesus. And we have a revelation out in our team of righteousness, that revelation being that we're clean, we're washed clean from sin. We stand right before God, and that gives us our confidence. And so I want Dylan to share his heart a little bit for the next five to ten minutes, and, uh, and then I'll share a little more with you, and we'll maybe we'll pray for Reese to get some um, courage to do that dance later on. So why don't you welcome Dylan Long? Thank you, bro. I know after that amazing introduction, some of you are a bit disappointed that I'm speaking instead of Ben for a few minutes, but... Just to clear up some doctrine issues, turn to your neighbor and say, South Africa has the best cricket team in the world. And the church said? Amen, that's right. I just want to share a brief thought with you quickly this morning. For myself, I grew up in the church, and for years, going to church was like a burden. Christianity to me was, if I attend church for two hours on a Sunday morning, if I'm willing to give 90 minutes or 120 minutes of my Sunday morning, if I'm willing to give that to God, I can be right with God. That was how I grew up in the church. If I can give 90 minutes, I can be right with God. If I really want to be a good Christian, I can get there 15 minutes early and join the prayer meeting. And if I'm really growing in right standing with God, I'll even start to read a Joyce Myers devotional. And when I'm reading a Joyce Myers devotional, I won't be ashamed. I'll take a picture of it next to my coffee and my Bible and I'll put it on Instagram. 
And if I was going even further, I would join the Wednesday night prayer meeting. And as I'm growing and right standing with God, that was my idea of being right with God. I'd go to church Sunday morning when the 90 minutes was over. That's when Sunday started because I'd go out and get coffee and cake and I'd feel great. I'm right with God. I've given my 90 minutes. I even put money in the offering basket. I know that sounds like a bit of a joke, but honestly, that's how I grew up subconsciously believing what Christianity was, that I was doing things to be right with God, that I had to go to church to be right with God, that, that I had to perform in order to be right with God. I know many of us wouldn't necessarily believe that right now, but sometimes subconsciously we have a little bit of that in us. So if, if you have a Bible here, you can um, turn it to 2 Corinthians 5. I want to read a verse because no, no matter how badly I preach, you can still say he read a Bible verse. Okay, just a little bit of context. Jesus was the only human that, because Jesus was completely God but completely human. I mean, we know he was completely human because he was tempted in every way. And the Bible says that God cannot be tempted. And the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way, which means that he was completely God and completely human. And the Bible says that he learned obedience. God doesn't learn obedience. So he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was completely God and completely man. But he was the only person that ever came in a human body that never once sinned in his whole life. He lived on earth for 33 and a half years, but never once sinned. Even though he was tempted in every single way that you've been tempted, he had those t temptations too. But he never sinned once. Are you with me? Now, when we're born into the world, each one of us is born into a sinful nature. You don't have a choice but to sin. Some of us aren't better than other people before we get saved. Each one of us sinned completely. Once you break one of over the 600 laws, you've broken them all. Sometimes we think, okay, God, I'll come to you with my 200 laws, which I've completed, and you bring the other 400. It's not like that. If you've broken one, you've broken all 614 and 10 commandments. There's no, I broke 200, my next door neighbor broke 300. I only needed 300 of God's help to fulfill the law. You broke one, you broke them all. You were completely sin. No partly sin, not better than your next door neighbor, not raised in the Christian home, have always been a Christian. Sin, Okay. Jesus never sinned. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For he, talking about God, for he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So God makes Jesus sin. He literally takes someone that's completely righteous and has never sinned and makes him sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. I've got a question for you. How did Jesus become sin? Did he need a sin to become sin? No. He didn't need a sin to become sin. How did he become sin? God made him sin. So why do we think that we need to act righteous to be righteous? How do you become righteous? God makes you righteous. It's the only way. You have two choices. Either you do the 614 laws and 10 commandments every day, good luck. Or you just receive the righteousness from God. There's no other option. And this offends people sometimes that are a bit more religious because the pride rises up like, no, I, I need to do something. That's not how it works. He became sin so that you could become right with God. And we have to remember this because if we don't understand that, we live a Christian life in condemnation and shame. And when you live in condemnation and shame, you'll never want to share the gospel. I promise, because why would you walk up to someone and be like, hey, bro, like, like Ben does out the window, hey, you should become a Christian. Why? Because you can live in shame and condemnation your whole life. <laughs> and there's more. You can give up 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. Right? We would never do that. That's why the Bible says the righteous are as bold as lions. Because when you believe that you're right with God, you're going to be bold. When you realize the free gift that stands in front of you, like the woman in John 4, she goes out and brings the whole city to Jesus. When you realize the free gift that stands in front of you, you'll bring whole cities to Jesus. I want to remind you today the free gift of righteousness. Sometimes we get born again and we encounter this love and righteousness is so amazing to us for a week or two or a month or even the first year and we, we're so overwhelmed by the fact that we're right with God and we bring people to Jesus and we, we're so on fire, but over the years it slowly dies off. And we forget and we start saying things like, oh, you're just on fire because you just got, got born again. But you'll mature. And I think that's wrong. I don't think we're ever supposed to mature out of the revelation of righteousness. 
And I want to leave you with one last sentence. We travel around the world a lot and equip people in evangelism and equip people to preach the gospel. And one thing I've realized is that when you forget about the effects of the cross on your life, you lose your passion to tell people about Jesus. When you forget about the effects of the cross in your life, you lose your passion to tell people about Jesus. When you forget about the fact that you used to wake up every morning feeling empty and now you wake up feeling free, you stop telling people about Jesus. When you forget about the free gift of righteousness, you stop telling people about Jesus. So I want to encourage you from the young to the old in this room tonight. This morning. It's been a long week. Um, <laughs> that's enough from me. I was like going for a powerful closing line and then that happened. Ah, okay. Take two. If you're in this room this morning. Now I forgot where I was going. But basically, I just want to encourage you to come back to the understanding of righteousness today. No matter how old you are. Just remember that today. Because some of us have forgotten the, the free gift that it is even just to be right with God. And if you can remember that and never mature out of that and never move on from that, you'll continually tell people about Jesus. Okay, that's enough from me. It was so good Ben asked me to take up an offering. I'm joking. I'm just going to pray for you. Some of you are like a second. Okay. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your power. God, the word says awake to righteousness. I ask that you would awake us to right standing with you, God, that the people in this room that have been working for your love, I even believe that people came here today feeling like they had to be here to be right with God. That's a lie. You don't have to be here. You get to be here this morning. You get to worship because you're right with God. You get to shout amen while Ben's preaching because you're already right with God. You aren't working to be right with him. You aren't praying to be right with him. You're praying because you are right with him. God, we break all condemnation and shame that's been holding us back. And we thank you for right standing with you, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've already done. You became sin so that we can become righteousness. God, we thank you for this righteousness, God. Give us an understanding of right standing with you. Lord, let us awake to righteousness. If you believe that, say amen. I feel like we should just let him preach. He's good. Dylan's a good preacher. And it's true what he said. It's the Word of God. Amen? You know, I often tell Dylan, get up and preach for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and he'll say, what are you preaching? And I rarely tell him. And it's usually the same. And uh, I love that, how God is like that. Um, I wanted to talk about the reason why we have confidence to see people saved. And, uh, you know, we have the grace of evangelism on our team, on our awakening team, and, and we love talking about the salvation of humanity. But I like also identifying the preciousness of what God sees precious. And um, it's not just humanity. It's not just the brevity of human life. It is, but it's individual lives. It's people that matter to you. It's people that matter to the Lord. And so I want to pray that God would reveal that to us again this morning. Even if you heard a little bit of that last night, I, I believe that God wants to tenderize the conscience. Because when, when you're free, when you're liberated from sin, you're free then to feel, you know? You're not always trying then to, to bat off the all the stuff that attacks us and, and attacks our thoughts and wicked imaginations and all those things, once that's dealt with and you begin to get strong and you get backbone in righteousness, you, then you can have feelings of, of the depths of compassion. It, Jesus didn't just come to teach. He came to heal. You know, he came to set free. And so he didn't just come and preach. This is what you, you know, you've become. And he did do that. But, but what he also did was he went and, and stretched his hands out to the broken. And his heart was, it felt, it leaned with compassion into people. And you can see that constantly in the New Testament through the, the four Gospels, one thing you'll see that's consistent about Jesus is that he was moved more by compassion than he was anything else. And so I, I just want you to be alive this morning. It's so wonderful, Dylan, share that because you don't have to fight that revelation. You have to receive that deeply. You didn't come here just to be right with God. You came here because you are a child of the Lord. Why do we preach the gospel? Because you're supposed to. Many evangelists have been guilty for years of condemning the church in order to motivate them. Um, I'm not going to do that to you. Our team's not going to do that. In fact, we'd love to pray for you today that God would rip that off you and grant you grace to be bold. And like uh, he mentioned in the message, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Righteousness creates boldness. Because you don't think that you're someone you're not. You think you know who you are. And when you see that even in the world, it's attractive somehow. Even in the world. 
I, I remember watching, you know, the, the runner Usain Bolt? Ever seen him? I remember watching him, and there's, there was a video, and actually someone took a picture of it, where he's smiling, and he's like, he's like a long way in front of everybody else, and they are popping veins. I mean, they are like, you know, and he's just sort of like, you know, and he's so super confident. Then he does his big lightning bolt dab. Actually, he's kind of like the first dabber, you know. Like he does his big dab thing. And, uh, and he's a huge guy. And he's just so happy. And, and he's excited. And, and when he wins, he, he doesn't look to, like, oh, it's been a tough year. And he doesn't, he's not like that. He's just exceptionally confident in who he is. And it's attractive to people because they realize that guy in some way, even though he's, he's under sin and death, that law, in some way, there's a steadfastness on the person, the gift he has. And when that steadfastness is there, it's easy to follow. It's easy to be inspired by. Well, can you imagine what it would be like to walk near Jesus? Oh, my goodness, to physically walk near Jesus. Imagine you're walking in Jerusalem and you met him and he just looked at you and said, Hi. He smiled at you. You'd be like, who the heck was that? You know, like, and that's what happened with the woman at the well. She was tripped out by the revelation of how much this person knew who they were because he is fully God. He is fully God's as well. Not three gods. I'm saying he belongs to God. And so do you. When you belong to God, then you give your heart to God's priorities. I have many priorities in life. My priority right now is to honor these amazing pastors, Marty and Kieran. My priority here is to preach the word of God and to make sure that I'm, I'm clear about what I say, to honor the Father. My priority is to make it on time to the airport, which would be, it's, an, it's a very supernatural occurrence when I do. My priority here is to honor our team. There's different priorities. But in my daily life, I, I have to set myself according to the word of God because I am right with him to let him as my father, let him share my heart. It would be the strangest thing in the world if I as a Christian would say to the Lord, which I do daily, a supplication, God, would you do this for me? Would you reveal this to me? I need this, God. We need this amount of money now. We need this amount of help now. It's all these supplications. And we often do that. Lord, I've just helped me to break that thought pattern and, and all that stuff. And that's all good. And it's right because it says present them in Philippians 4. It's not wrong to do that. But what a strange relationship it would be if all of my life I say, God, I want this, and I never say, what do you want? It happens to us, though. You know, if I said to you, um, <clears throat> I know, if I said to Marty, what do you want me to get you for Christmas? And he'd go, well, oh, you, were just, you, had a, you had a person around the back with a button waiting for me to say your name. Marty's a great guy. That's awesome. That was amazing. We need to get one of them at Awakening. Whenever they, someone introduces someone, push that button. That's so cool. When I, if, I, if I said, sorry, that took me, that shocked me then. That was amazing. If I said to you, Marty, what do you want for Christmas? And Marty, and Marty said, I desire a brand new motorbike. That would not be strange. I don't think it's strange that he called the church Harvest Church. That could be prophetic about his whole life. He told me when he's at home, he's a harvester. They live on the farm. He loves motorbikes. He likes guns. Uh, that's okay. When you live on a farm, that's important with all the rabbits and things. But um, why, why? yesterday this happened. I said just normal sentences and, and everybody laughed. Do I look funny? Is it, am I, I am wearing the same shirt as last night, but I promise you I sprayed so much deodorant. I really smell good. Come later, hug me. Don't be afraid. But I ran out of shirts after the tour. Anyway, back to the word of God. If I said, Marty, what do you want? And he said, well, I desire this Kawasaki bike or this, you know, Honda, whatever. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I find out what, he, what his desire is. If I'm in good relationship with him, I want to afford myself toward that desire. And it won't cost me anything, will it? If I love him as a friend, and he says to me, this is my favorite watch, it doesn't cost me friendship, does it? In fact, it should excite me somehow. My friend Ado, he's married to his wife. When, when he buys her a gift, why is that funny? Why is that funny? <laughs> he's married. Jesus, what had you, did you put a new anointing on me or something? <laughs> I don't know, the anointing of weirdness. I don't know. I'm trying to really be serious here. I'm sorry, guys. Some of you are like, that guy just, he just makes us laugh. And 
just was a great morning. I don't know why. It's happened just in this church. Every other church, people are like, wow, I'll give my whole life to the gospel. Here, it's, I, I mentioned coffee and a muffin. People are like, yes, muffins. I was, like, I was like, I don't know what happened last night there. There was some lady in the front. I said, blueberry muffin. She's like, yes, I know exactly what you mean. It's a muffin. Anyway, Ado. He's married. I don't know why that's hilarious, but he is. Okay? He has a great wife. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, help me. When, <laughs> when he married his wife, he didn't do it out of obligation, did he? He did it out of love. That's right. He, he gave himself because of love. It's not hard for him. In fact, it's hard for him to be away. For us, we're like begging God, like, God, please move and hoping to fractionalize things with God and move him an inch toward us by begging and, 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 and trying to get him to change everything instead of being in love. Ado's in love with, with his wife. Okay. This, is, this, is the, this is an amazing church service. This is Jesus, you're amazing. Praise you, Father. I'm oh, sorry. I love it. This is really, honestly, this is, feels like a setup. That's so good. That's so good. Sorry, for some of you who don't believe in smiling, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so, all right. Um, so, Ado loves his wife, okay? Okay. This has a really important point at the end of it. I think, I mean, maybe God's like, no, it doesn't. Just laugh. I don't know. Maybe we just need the joy of the Lord. I'm sure I do after this seven-day tour. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I can't. I'm sorry. No, I can't. Hang on. Up. Just give me 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. Okay. He loves... <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I can't do it. Jesus. He, he loves his wife. It's a good thing. Understand this doesn't this doesn't happen to me often. Like I'm I'm a very serious preacher. <laughs> oh man. Okay. I'm sorry to point at you, but honestly, it looked funny when you did that. Mm. Look like a little dinosaur, kind of. You know. Uh, all right. So Adrian loves his wife, and uh, <laughs> she fell off the chair. <laughs> That's awesome, bro. Are you gonna tell? You got to tell Ash what, what kind of anointing your relationship has brought to the people. Oh, that's awesome. She's off the chair. Okay. All right. I'm sorry, man. I, honestly, this does not happen. You can ask my team. I, I, I love joy, but, but uh, this is strange. Um, so when he goes home and he says to his wife, what do you want for your birthday this year? Does it cost him anything? It costs him money, yeah. Technically, if you want to be technical, it costs him money. Thank you. Thank you for those theologians out there. Thanks for the context. It costs him, but does it cost him anything in his heart? It's a joy, isn't it? Why did Jesus go to the cross? That's right. The greatest suffering to God was considered a joy because of intimacy. That's very, very difficult for us to understand. It's very difficult because we always put things in the realm of that's a work, you discipline yourself, you do this because you have to, this is what God would want. 
and then we put other things in. This is what relaxing, living in rest is, joy is. We, we push the two apart. I want to propose to you that because he loves his wife and asks her, what do you want? When he gets that gift for her, he's doing it because he knows her desire. Well, Dad, what do you desire? I desire that none should perish. What do you want for Christmas, Dad? Your unsaved sister. How can I partner with you? That's not hard work. That's a love work. I desire that none should perish. Do you ever ask God, what do you desire from me? You probably ask him a bit about his will. What do you want me to do? That's good. Sometimes I think God wants just an ear, a friend. I really feel that at times, that God just wants a friend. He wants someone he can share his heart with. There was a friend, a lady that we knew, uh, I don't know her well, I don't know her personally, sorry, but um, some people I do know her, and, and they said she's an amazing woman of God. And, and she met Jesus. She actually met him, and she saw him one day weeping, uncontrollably weeping. And, um, and the joy of the Lord is real, as we just saw, but also the weeping and the emotion of God is real. And, and these things don't cost us anything. It's, it's hard to explain it, but in the context of relationship, let's say that, um, you know, Ash began to weep for, for her, her mother who, who needed help in her life. And, and then Ado begins to weep with her who weeps because they're one flesh. It doesn't cost Ado to weep. It's not a cost. It's very, very easy for me to explain this because I understand what God did in my heart with my unsaved brother. And I'll share that with you. But before that, I want to read this scripture to you. And then uh, we're going to pray. And I want to lay hands on every one of you, if we can, our team. We just want to pray. And I believe that when we do that prayer, it's like a group discount. You know, we just pray that God will give you a lot of boldness, but we'll also pray that there'll be healing that jumps on you and, and things that you need. You know, I know some of you came here this morning with great need. You need for healing and, and you have other needs and stuff like that in your life. But, you know, sometimes we're need specific. But I really feel that one of our greatest needs is to understand the right heart posture. I know you have wonderful pastors who teach you that. But I feel there's people who need to understand, like when I'm saving souls, when I'm going to the lost, I'm not going there because I have to, because it's a command, because I'm an evangelist, because I'm disciplined. Discipline is the lowest form of discipleship. It's the absolute lowest. It's where you begin. It's not wrong. Discipline's right. If you get up at five in the morning, I'm not good at that. But if you get up at five in the morning and you pray, God will honor that. God honored the alms and the gifts given from a non-Christian that came up before him as a memorial in Acts chapter 8, or sorry, 10, from Cornelius. So God does honor discipline. Don't get me wrong. But discipline is the beginning point. It's not the end point. The end point is perfect passion. It's perfect life. It's the love of God flowing through you, toward him, toward you, toward others. It's the love of the Lord working effectively inside you. It's led by the Spirit. It's Romans 8, 14. It's a pillar and key verse of, of the New Testament life. And, and all of us can live that way. And, and it's not as maybe as difficult as you think. When Pastor Marty saw me wind down the window, um, you know, for years, for me, that was very challenging. Do you know why it was challenging? Because of the response in the people. Not really because of winding down the window or saying something. It's just the response in the people. And I really had made people's opinions in my mind bigger than my love relationship with God. So compassion wouldn't overtake me. Discipline would make me do it. And it started with discipline, but it ended up with compassion. And it was really good. Now compassion moves me. I see a guy. I see a guy covered in tattoos on his face. I saw a lady at the airport the other day when we were in Perth. Very quiet airport, Perth. And she was sitting there and she had tattoos on the side of her face and down her neck. And yet she looked like a single mom. And she looked kind of kind, honestly. And so I went to her and I said, excuse me, can I tell you something? She said, sure. I said, I really felt to stop you and just tell you, you know, God really changed my life. And I'm not talking about religion. God changed me. I don't know if you think about God, but Jesus loves you. And he really, I just sense the love of God over your life. And you can see, and she goes, she goes, wow. She goes, thank you. I really needed to hear that, actually. And I said, he really loves you. And, and, he, and she said that, she goes, wow, thank you. And I said, would you do me a favor? Would you just talk to Jesus? Would you begin to just pray and say, Jesus, can you come into my life and speak to me? You know, sometimes we think if we don't give 18 steps of how Jesus walks down from heaven and gets into her heart, that he's not able to do it. God is very able to save. He's really able. So you can just tell somebody, you pray for their leg and say, that was Jesus. And you might find two years later, they're in a church worshiping. We have no idea how powerful God is to save. Are we supposed to go for the full package? For sure we are. Are we supposed to contend for repentance? 
to happen, for them to be cut to the heart like it says in Acts, 100% we are. But also we're meant to sow seed, some are meant to water, but God brings the increase. So compassion overtook me for this woman. My dream would be that the churches of Australia are moved with compassion for Australian people. That's the father's dream. Ada loves his wife. He'd buy her any watch. If it cost the most money in the world, he wouldn't consider it a cost because of love. You can see this if you study Song of Solomon. The Song of Songs, it describes somebody, you know, like the, the breaking of the myrrh, the cost of the oils, that I will go and work for you and I'll, I will come back and get you and I'll do, like I'll give myself for love's sake. It's as jealous as the grave. Love. But I want to read this verse to you and then I'll tell you what happened to me and I want us to pray for all of you that God would mark you because I'm not sure you were here last night. Some of you were. And, and if you were, he might have touched you in a way in the sense of awaken your consciousness. To un- that sounds new agey, but it's actually in Ephesians. It's in the book of Ephesians that, you know, that he would enlighten you. It's in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. But anyway, it's not new age. <laughs> okay, so but he said consciousness. I'm out of here. Um, okay. I want to pray that the Lord would so move you that he would take you from a place of believing it costs you a lot to, to share the gospel. The choice might cost you and inconvenience you sometimes, but the cost of knowing what do you desire, Father, and having that desire fill your heart doesn't actually cost you. It costs you more to legalize it and religiousize it. I'll read this verse to you, and I love this verse. And if you do a study one day of Abraham's life, it would be a real blessing to you. In Romans 4, it talks about him. He staggered not, he was persuaded not, like, sorry, staggered not, and he, and he kept his faith and fully persuaded that God had promised him what he would promise him God would do. You should study this. And, and then in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, I'm just going to read this one part to you. It says, therefore, it's verse 12, from one man, and that's Abraham, right? Him as good as dead were born as many as the stars in the sky and multitude, innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore from one man, From one man, Billy Graham, spoke to 200 million individuals. Out of that 200 million, they say some 30 million or so born again. One man, a German man, couldn't even speak English very well at the time. A German man, Reinhard Bonke, told by the Lord, would you give me your heart for Africa? I'll give you my will, but would you choose it? He chose it because of love. Discipline cannot motivate you to that kind of, it can't compel you like Heidi Baker says. That's why she wrote the book and called it that because she understands that is a greater reality than discipline with God. To know our Father's heart, to know how lavishly good God is to you, is so important to us. To sit on our beds sometimes and lie down and just let God love on you. It's so important we experience that. Otherwise we live by, everything's lived by discipline then, otherwise. By, by principles. And that's not the way God created our relationship. That is part of it though. Don't throw all of that away. I've seen people go the op- opposite way and I just soak all day and that's God's will. No, it's not. God's will is Jesus. He didn't do that all day. He reached out to the poor, the broken, to the rich who were poor, to the wealthy of society, to the upper echelon. Abraham, out of him, were born innumerable people. But these people, all of the Hebrews 11, Hall of Faith, these all died in faith. I love that because they got to the very end of the line and they still, even though they didn't see the promise, they still didn't let up on one thing, faith. They would not give up their faith. They'd give up their body before their faith. They knew God was faithful. And it says they didn't receive the promises but saw them far off. That's Jesus. The multitudes coming through the cross. And it says they they were assured of them and embrace them and confess them. They were 100% sure God's showing us that many, many people will come to Him. And they embraced it. This is mine. It fully is mine. This harvest in South Australia is mine. It's not somebody else's. It's mine. My unsaved sister, she belongs to God. Acts 16.31, me and my whole household. She is God's and she is mine. She embraced, people embrace it. When you embrace it, you embrace what God wants to do. And more more than that, let's go to the heart level. You embrace the heart desire of God. God desires you. He desires your unsafe sister. Let me tell you what happened to me and then we're going to pray. 
This might shock you when I do this. I'm sorry to be so raw and so real. I'll just throw my wallet to Dylan. Don't spend too much at once. Good catch. Jesus, a good catcher. I might start to believe you about South Africa. Yeah, geez. Good catch. Just make sure there's no sandpaper there. Don't learn from us. Don't learn. Stay pure, son. Stay pure. No ball tampering. <laughs> it's been happening for years, though. You know that, right? It started in South Africa. Uh, <clears throat> hashtag <clears throat> Cronje. Anyway, um, this is what happened to me. I'm sorry to be so real with you when I do this, but please forgive me if this, if this, uh, if it shocks you, what happened and, and how I describe it. I have to describe it as it happened. Um, <laughs> it's hard for me to do this, actually. I'm an evangelist. I preach the gospel all the time. I was living in Redding, California. I was preaching every day. I lived in a drug neighborhood. It was called Clay Street. We had a, a mini outpouring there. Many people were saved. I had a house church. I was full on for God. I, I mean, I was really strong, particularly in this area. I took it in my heart. I embraced it, like it says. I was fully persuaded God would move on this area, and he did. We had prayer walks every Wednesday evening. We had 40-some students. We all prayed around the perimeter of one of the worst neighborhoods where there'd been murders, and there still was a high methamphetamine drug dealing rate in Clay Street. Some of my friends have tattoos all over their face. They have 618 written all over their neck, huge, big guys that would walk around covered head to toe in tattoos. We had people living on our couch. Dylan also, we had people putting, we put them on the couch. Uh, you know, any person that was in need, we tried to reach out to them. If God led them to us, we had a heart open toward their life. So I'm not just talking about pulpit evangelism stuff to you. I have a history of, I'm not saying that to commend. I'm just saying we wanted to see both billionaires and, and, and drug addicts, the, the homeless man saved. And I was, giving my, I was giving myself to the homeless, particularly in that time, like people who were in need, real need. And uh, my heart began to expand, stretch my heart open. The compassion began to grow in me. Um, but something strange happened that I never expected to happen. My mom calls me one day. I get a phone call. I'm in America. And she says, Ben, now my family, we're a bunch of worshipers. Like, we're like a little kind of bunch of hippie kind of people. But um, my mom, she's, she loves worship and she's very prophetic. She's actually a world famous artist, my mom. She never tells anyone that, but she is. She created a method from God that became world famous. She's in magazines all around the world. And she doesn't care for that though. She cares for preaching the gospel and she cares for reaching the lost. But she's like 63. She got a hand tattoo, full hand tattoo at 61, and uh, it's of a bird that's beautiful with a huge beak, and it's multicolored. It looks more colorful than my Bible. It's like multicolored, and it's beautiful, and, and she, she made it, and she got this guy to do a full hand tattoo. She has big, beautiful hair, and she has like bits of red in there, like Daniel's hair a little bit, but not dreadlocked. Beautiful, like a woman hair, and, and, um, and she's little little woman, but she's full of fire. My brother was the same. Not dressed as exactly the same, but he's a bit wild, and he was a worship leader. He's a good worship leader. And, um, but my mom called me one day, and she said, Ben, and she was in panic. I could hear it in her voice straight away. She said, Ben. I said, what? And she said, Sam's fallen away from God. I said, what do you mean? She said, he's walked away from God. I said, no, he hasn't, mom. I said, calm down. She said, no. She says, you don't understand. She goes, he came into the kitchen today. And me and your dad were there and he said, he goes, I want nothing to do with God. And he goes, get out of my face. And he started yelling at us, swearing at us. And I was like, mom, are you sure? I said, are you sure? Something maybe happened. You should ask him. She goes, no. She goes, Ben, you, you need to pray right now. He's in trouble. And I was like, okay. And so I tried to text my brother and, he, and I tried to get a hold of him. And he wouldn't reply to me. And, and I was like, what is going on? And, and I'm in California. And I freaked out for a bit, to be honest. I was like, what is happening? Because all I can remember is him with the acoustic guitar. And he's like, you have to understand, like I've watched him love God for years. And, and then she tells me this and I'm like, oh no. And, and so I get off the phone and I said, God, please save him. God, intervene in this situation right now. I, I don't know what's going on, but move on him, Lord. Move on my brother. And I was heartbroken. And uh, and. And then the next day, again, I begin to pray for him a little bit. God, move on my brother. Move on him. And then maybe two, three weeks went by. And then a month went by. And then the phone rings again. It's my mom. She says, Ben, Sam's in even more trouble. She said, he's been in the casino every night from around 1 a.m. till 6 a.m. He comes home and he's been doing speed. We're pretty sure he's doing speed. And I was like, you cannot be... like." 
if you were to understand how, how he was there a month ago and then like this, you don't, it, does, it doesn't make any sense. And so I said, I go, no. I said, are you serious, mom? She goes, yep. She goes, it's really bad. And he's saying he wants to move out now. And he's got this girl and all this stuff just came flooding into his world. Sin. So I said, God, I got off the phone. God, please don't let him go down the road of drugs. He's never been into drugs. He's never taken a drug in his life. What's he doing gambling for six hours a night? He's never, ever been like this. I don't know what's going on. I'm finding this very almost hard to believe. These guys know my brother. He's not like that by nature. He has sin. Yes, we all did. We all got born out of sin. But the, the extremity, he's not like that as a person. So I prayed again, God, please save him. Please, God, save him. Another month. Now, by the end of the second month, mom calls again, third call. This is happening now, this is happening now. I get off the phone. God, would you save him? It's not right. You save him. And I watched something happen to my own heart that I realized was not even, at the, at the time, I didn't even see it happening. In the beginning, I was concerned, very. But the worse he got, the less concerned I got. Now, that was not the Lord in me. But I threw my couple of prayers up. Oh, surely, God, you'll bring him back to you, you know, kind of deal. That was the assumption. And all of a sudden, this haze of familiarity began to come over my mind. My brother's familiar to me. He used to be a worship leader. Surely he'll just go to heaven. God will get him somewhere on the road. God will meet him somehow. And I stopped praying. I don't know how it happened. I'm an evangelist. I don't know how it happened. I don't know why it is that sometimes people walk up to me bawling their eyes out saying, I don't even think about the fact that my sister's not saved. I know she's not. We talk about it as a family. Oh, they're not saved yet. But nothing motivated me until this morning because the heart grew cold. The heart didn't, it grew, it was just based in discipline instead of what do you desire, Father? It wasn't alive, awake to righteousness like Dill said before. Okay? So, I get back to Australia. Now it's been close to nine months. And I see my brother. He will not look at me. Like he's, I mean, it hit me a little more when I saw him. He won't look at me. He's completely different. He takes his journal, which has got all of the history between him and the Lord, and he threw it in the trash. And his Bible. I saw it. He, had a, he got a motorbike at the time as well. I saw it, a very fast motorbike, and he'd changed the number plates and gotten illegal number plates made and put in this reflecting thing. I don't know where he got them from, but he put this reflector on the back of the number plate where you can see it if you're driving behind, but as soon as a flash or camera takes a photo of it, it reflects back just a blank white thing. You can't see the number plate. And I found out he was doing 200 kilometers on the highway going through the, the e-tag and going through all the tag places at 2 and 3 in the morning, going 200 kilometers, and know that the police would see it, the pictures, the videos, but no one would know who that is. And him and his friends are doing that. And so I was concerned, more concerned. But then I see him one day, and this is why I say, sorry to be graphic, I see him and he's put the, the Bible and the thing in the, in the bin. And this is what I thought. This is how numb I'd become. I thought, oh, that's not good. That's not good. Ben, are you serious? It's not just not good. It's a lot more than not good. But that's how numb I was. How familiar, he's my brother. It'll all work out. I wish I could say that of the world, but it's not the reality. But the, the love of God wakes you. And so I said, oh, okay. I said, that's not good. So I picked it up and I thought, at least I can hold on to it. It's got all this stuff, this journal in there. I never really do this. I, don't, I believe in privacy. But I felt for some reason to look in the journal. I thought, that's sad. Why would he throw that out? And this is what happened to me. Excuse me for the graphic nature of this. I opened the journal. <laughs> there was one line that I read. And for about five seconds, I felt this untainted love of God for my brother for a human being. I was preaching all the time before and I looked back and a lot of it was preaching by discipline just because it was the right thing to do. I read it and he said, 
something to this effect, like, Jesus, thank you for your presence this morning. I love you. And all of a sudden, I felt this violent feeling from Jesus, like, and this hurt, this pain, but not pain that is like our pain where we think, oh, we're hurt, our identity's fractured. Not that at all. It was like sorrow, godly sorrow. And I, all of a sudden, I was re- holding it. I was like this, uh, and then I did this. Ah! And I screamed, and it was groaning, like Romans 8 says, that it overtook me. And I fell on the ground. I was like, ah, ah, and I begin to weep. But it wasn't weeping. It was, it was from here. It was, it was alive. And, and, I, and I couldn't read. I just dropped the stuff on the ground, and, and I'm on the ground. I'm like, God. And I'm saying, God, save him. I said, save your son. He belongs to you, Lord. But I wasn't having to yell. It was, it was coming by the Spirit. It was, like, it was like waves kind of coming out of me, but pain, it, it, was, it was strange. I, I can't really explain it in words, but, but I fell and I was uncontrollably weeping. And I could feel this heaving kind of in me. And, and, I, and I got up off the ground and my mom came in because she knew something's wrong. I, I was heaving. And I just knew. All I could think about is this is groaning that cannot be expressed. And I was groaning and I said, God, and I felt Jesus. It was like I could feel all the history between Jesus and Sam in that book and how much it meant to Jesus. I could feel how much every word that he wrote to Jesus, Jesus treasured them. And now Satan had him. and Sin had him. And I got up off the ground and I, like, I mean, I was an absolute mess, but I got up off the ground a different person. My heart was awake to his desire in a different way. And I said, God, I said, I'm sorry. I said, forgive me. I've become so familiar with even my unsaved brother. And I said, Lord, help me. And all of a sudden, my heart, it was like, it was like there was no discipline involved. I put a picture. It's like I knew exactly what to do. I put a picture of him on my phone. And my heart was like, it was like it's breathing kind of for him. I, like it's the Lord, but it was like my heart, I wasn't going to pray now for two seconds, you know, and do this every day. And it wasn't discipline anymore. I was aware of him. I was awake to my brother's lostness and the briefness and the sin and the darkness that God must feel and hurt, hurt for. I was awake. Are you? I wasn't though. This is what I'm telling you to encourage you. I was an evangelist, but I was not awake. What kind of a lie would, what kind of a haze would have to come on me as an evangelist to believe that it will all just work out and my family magically gets saved? That's exactly what Satan would want to put on me. I don't like the word magically even. I don't even like those words. It's like, it was just more like the assumption was so deep in me that it wasn't faith. It was blindness. But now I was awake. So I have him on my phone. And now I'm like, Sam, I kept preaching everywhere else. It didn't change my life. It changed my life. Does it make sense? It didn't burden my life. It freed my heart. And now I'm looking at my brother and and a text would come through. Actually, he just texts me, my brother. (laughs) What the heck? That's so cool. He just, I would look at a text and I'd reply to the text and I'd see Sam's face. I'd see a picture of my brother. And I'd say, God, get him. Get him, God. I'd say, get him, Jesus. Get him, Lord. I'd just do 30-second prayers. I bind him to the cross of Calvary. Your blood is greater than, him, than, than his sin. Get him, Jesus. And then an hour later, another text. I'd see him again. Look at him. I love you, Sam. Get him, Jesus. Get my brother. Four hours later, another text, another whatever. I check Facebook. Then I just go to close it and see his face. Father, I thank you for your son. Get him. I bind him to the cross of Calvary. I Matthew 18, 18, my brother, whatever I bind. I bind him to the cross. Loose your kingdom around him, Lord. Get him. My brother, soon after that, he goes down a normal road like this, little road here at 120 kilometers an hour. And he slips, the bike slips, and he turns, it flips that way, backwards, throws him off, the bike and him, back first, bang, through a tree. At 120 kilometers in a residential street that's 50, he flips like that, 
He goes through the tree with the bike. The bike breaks the tree in half. The bike smashes at the top. And uh, it's right around the corner from where we live in a place called Endeavor Hills. It's right near this park near Endeavor Hills there. Uh, we're very close to our street, probably around about maybe 800 meters or something. And so the phone, my phone rings. The first person he called was me. He's on the ground. I get straight in the car. This time, I'm not in panic. It was remarkable because of all this prayer, that confidence that had entered my spirit, that God had his hand around somewhere in him, in his life now. And, and I knew by, by, by me partnering with my heavenly father, now we're not motivating God, but somehow he's given us authority. If someone would say, oh no, it's just God's will, you know, God will save him anyway. Well, how come the world is not being saved then? It goes contrary against God's nature. I desire that none should perish. Well, that's none as in nations and he chooses. And Yeah, I get it. But I felt God's heart for the boy. I saw Jesus weep. No one can ever tell me that God doesn't love that radically. I saw it. Does God hate people? Yes, Esau I loved. Uh, sorry, Esau I hated. Jacob I loved. God does hate people at times. But God still paid the same blood for them. I'm sure that I'm sure Paul wasn't God's favorite. He was killing and hurting people. He might have even been wicked in his conscience. My brother walked away willfully knowing God. How does God love a person like that? He flips through the bike. I get to the scene. My brother's on his back. <gasps> like that. He gets up. But we, we get him. We, I had to be very careful to not move him. Like quickly. We, we get him up. And he says this without me saying anything. Help me, God. Help me, God. Get him to the hospital. Frank Clancy came and helped me to pick him up. We get him in the car, me and Frank. I rang Frank. He sped there. He's a mentor of ours. He sped there. That's what mentors do. They're loyal. They help when the person needs help. They don't, they don't convenience themselves to whatever. Oh, I'm eating my food. I'm busy. That's selfishness. If you see that in yourself, crucify it. He gets there. We pick Sam up. We get in the car. He gets in the back. Now, his back's in bad shape, man. It is really bad. He can't move properly. The bike's gone. Forget the bike. We get to the hospital. We get in there. We're just waiting. We're just praying in tongues. God, please set him free. They, they put something in his spine. I, can't, I, don't, I don't remember what they did. But we're like, God, please set him free. Please do not let him be crippled. Please, Lord. Give him mercy, Jesus. Give him mercy. To cut a long story short, they said, oh, there's one of the discs or something's bulging or it's out of place and whatever. And we're just praying. And Sam's in terrible pain in his back. They check him out three hours later with not a single thing wrong with him. He was completely healed. But let me tell you what happened next. He went home and he was very sober. You know what I mean by that? Like very... Four days later though, back to the casino. Back to drugs four days later. But there was a difference now. My heart had changed. The prayers had changed. The power of the Spirit of God was being loosed around him by the agreement of God's people on earth. I came back. For, I left again to Redding, California, and I came back nine months later. My brother is still deep in sin. But my confidence is this sky high. My heart for my brother sky high. I even stopped preaching to him. And that sounds weird, but I just knew what to do all of a sudden. I knew when to say, I knew when to not say. My heart was different. What about your unsaved brother? What about your sister who doesn't believe in God? She knows you go to your church thing. Do you see the jeopardy of her soul? My brother could have died in that bike accident that day. It could have been over. I would be lying to myself to assume he'd go to heaven. He willfully chose against God. And God is just. God doesn't bend the rules of heaven for one person. He doesn't bend the laws of the universe. He can, but he doesn't go, well, I'll let you in and all the other billions of people that didn't choose me go to hell. He never chose hell for anyone. We choose it. And this is what happened. I came home nine months later. <clears throat> Still every day. Get him, Jesus. I walk into the house. Hey, good to see you, Sammy. And he's like, now he's looking at me more. And I noticed a little bit of a difference. Hey, good to see you, Benny. Yeah, cool. Goes out again. I keep praying. Get him, Jesus. 
And now my mom's, we pray together, get him, Jesus. And then my brother walks in one day to my mom and me in the kitchen, and he goes like this. He goes, hey, guys. Like, hey. He goes, can I come to church with you on Sunday? And I went like this. I, like, I tried to play it cool. I went, yeah, if you want, yeah. If you want to come, and then I went at, literally. I went out into the hallway, back into that room where I fell in the room, and I was like, "Get him!" I was like that. I was just burning. I was like, "Get him!" Then I came back out. <clears throat> yeah, I'll take you if you want. You have a ride with me. No problem. You know, like I was really trying to be cool, not trying to wreck it. I took him to church, to a church called Stairway, Peter McHugh's church. Now it's his first service there. I'm gonna be normal. I'm not gonna hide myself. But I'm like this. I'm worshiping and I'm like, a lot. I'm watching him a lot. And in my head, I'm just like, God, just don't freak him out. He gets to church and there's the most weirdest woman, the weirdest one in the whole church. She finds him. He was sitting down. Everybody else is standing worshiping. Sam was sitting down watching. The woman comes to him and she goes, whoa, like this, manifesting. I'm like, get her away from him. And she goes, whoa, she goes, are you Ben's brother, whoa, and all this stuff. And he's like, yeah. And he's freaking out. And she goes, God just told me to give you a drum kit. And in my head, I'm like, woman, if that drum kit doesn't come, this, it's over for you. I'll ring Peter tomorrow. You'll be off every prayer team. You know, <laughs> like I was like, who promises a drum kit? I said, are you a drummer? No. God told me that to give you my drum kit. And then she goes, can I pray for you? Okay, if you want. He's sitting. She comes, she's shaking and stuff. And I'm like, this is just weird. It's not the right way. Anyway, he comes home. Two days later, she knocks on the door with her car, with a drum kit. My brother doesn't play drums. He's a guitarist. And even after the drum kit came, he never used it. It went in the garage. It's never been used since. No one knows what happened to that drum kit. But that week, but it was prophetic. That week, my mom said to my brother, we have a home group on Friday night sometimes, and my mom says to my brother, Sam, she says, did you enjoy coming to church the other night? And he goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, it was good. But you can see he's still, you know what I mean? And then she says to him, she goes, Sam, she goes, you know how you used to lead worship years ago? He said, yeah. He, she said, we don't have a worship leader for this Friday night. And she said, he goes, mom, like you can see, he's like, mom. And she said, would you just lead worship just a few songs, some older songs? And there was one song in there. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And he gets on the guitar and all these people come in and they knew. They were like Christians, like, you know, they knew. Like that, or they, we knew how unsaved he was, and they were watching him lead, and they knew God's working on his heart, and he plays that song. Oh, precious is the flow, nothing but the blood. And then he goes, Ding, like that, and leans over the guitar and uncontrollably bursts into tears. And then he starts to shake like this with the guitar in his hand, falls off the chair, and they, the Christians, like seagulls on chips, they just, <laughs> they all jumped on him, and they got him. And they're like praying and they're saying, they're saying, get him, God. Like, deliver him right now. My brother got off the floor after two hours, delivered of drug addiction, delivered of every demon. My brother got completely set free. Completely set free. Today, he's a pastor. We're all friends with him. He's a pastor in one of Daniel's churches, Fire Church in Melbourne, one of their Hawthorne campus. He's a pastor. He met his wife after three weeks. Honestly, I was a little mad about that, but he met his wife after three weeks. His life became blessed. But who did he meet? What was the greatest joy? Who was the greatest person he met? Whose desire got fulfilled in the whole picture? I felt Jesus' heart for him. For five seconds of unfiltered love, it scared me how much he loves your sister, how much he loves your brother. It scared me. God wants you to be awake to this today. He wants you to be alive to this. And we want to lay hands on all of you. 
that your heart would soften and tenderize, that you would become aware of the briefness of human life. I finish with this. Another friend of mine, he was told by the Lord a few years back to talk to a friend of his about Jesus. And the Lord really told him strongly. His name is Matty. He's a good friend of ours. And the Lord really told him strongly. And uh, he did briefly, but he didn't really, you know, it was just, he didn't really. And that night, they died in a car wreck. And he always felt like that marked him. He did share a bit, but he felt like he was supposed to really like tell him, Jesus, you should think about him, man. God loves you. He felt motivated by the heart of the Father. This is not law, legalism, religion. This is not discipline. This is you being awake. And I want us to lay hands on every person here because some of you, all this time, you've been thinking of your unsafe brother. Some of you have been thinking of my son. Praying mothers are the most... I've never seen anybody who has this revelation more than praying mothers. Most of people in this room, if I was to say to you, can you put your hand up if you can attribute part of the story of you meeting Jesus to your praying mother? Watch. Put your hand up if that's true. Watch. It's like 70% of the room. I'd rather have the Taliban against me than a praying mom. If you've got a praying mom in this room... If you have a praying mom, you may as well just come down, bow down, get on your knees, surrender. It's over for you. But the reality is, does God just want praying mothers? Who was the one who wrote that, pray without ceasing? Who was the one who wrote, give supplication, thanks, and praise to God for all men? Who was the one who wrote, God desires that none should perish? The Lord. And it was Paul. He wasn't a woman. He wasn't an intercessor. He was an apostle. He was a man. Would you stand? We want to pray for you. Can you think of those faces? Some of you seeing, are you some, I can't really see, because some of you seeing the faces? Some of you seeing that, that best friend you've been friends with since you were 13? I feel really strongly for some reason that someone's sister. I feel that so strongly. Someone's sister is actually near to... Many of you don't even realize how close to salvation some of the people that you're thinking of are. After we lay hands on you, we make this suggestion to you. Write their name down with a Sharpie kind of marker on the mirror where you brush your teeth at night. If they come over and say, what is my name doing on the mirror? They say, every time I see your name, I bless you and say a prayer of blessing for you. That's the truth. What's the greatest blessing? That they would meet Jesus. They say, that's weird. And go, yep, sure is. <laughs> Who gives a rip what they think? Or put a picture of them on your phone. We're so distracted. We need to be reminded. Even though my heart opened, I knew the Lord needed to remind me on my phone. We're going to begin to lay hands as a team. Johnson, Ada, Reese, all of us, Nate, Lizzie, and Dylan. We're going to just walk around. Is that okay? And it's 11.50, so three, actually. So we're nearly finished at the service, I believe. You have to close at 12. If you need to get your kids and stuff, that's totally fine. And the Lord will give this to you anyway. But we're going to pray a prayer. And these guys are going to actually start now if they can, if that's okay, guys. Start praying for people. Father in heaven, Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would awaken, not by discipline, but by love, a heart in these amazing people for their close relatives, for their loved ones, knowing that their eternity is not it's not secured unless they get saved. And it's not automatic. I pray, Father, any veil. I pray every veil and any ungodly thing that has been around their hearts of distraction or just feeling overwhelmed with their own life. Like, I can't have that for another person. My life is too much as it is. God, show them this is not a burden. In fact, this is life-giving. This is where we live from passion to you. And I pray, Father, for their unsaved family and friends. It's like I can see some of their faces. It's one of them's name's Luke. One of them's name's Sarah. There's a Brad. Dave. God wants to save Dave. 
Marlene. There's many people that the Father sees. God, we pray that you would awaken our hearts. Father, we ask you that we would know how to love what you desire. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would do a deep work in people. And you know what? If you fall on the ground, bawling your eyes out, let it happen. Because if you restrict that, what, what that happens is your heart just partly opens. You don't have real, you don't really feel the heart of the Lord. Allow it to happen in you. If he overtakes you with weeping for that unsaved family member, then allow it to happen in you. I pray freedom in this room, in your emotional world, freedom in your heart to feel the heart of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. More. More, Jesus. I pray for more, Jesus. I pray for more in Jesus' name. We ask you, Father, for the unsaved people that are in our world, that you would save them. Another one with L, Lucas. Thank you, Lord God. Shane. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Go deep in us, Lord. Rip off that veil of familiarity. Rip it off. I pray that it cut deeply to your heart, the love for those people. 